you're wrong, Keeper. I'm not skeptical about everyone in politics. I mean, there are some very inspiring leaders out there. Well, by inspiring, what do you mean exactly? Do you mean those who share your opinions, your beliefs, and your behaviors? Well, yeah. I mean, I think you have to agree with someone to be inspired by them. Take Justin Trudeau, for example. I mean, I agree with much of what he advocates for this country, for Canada. He calls himself a progressive, and I consider myself a progressive too. Mind you, I don't agree with everything. He is failing on some of the most important issues, like First Nations communities, stuff that he campaigned on and wanted to turn around and still hasn't. To me, that's really disheartening. And now election reform doesn't seem to be such a big deal. But I like what he says about positive leadership creates a virtuous cycle. It's an inspiring message, right? I mean, we could all use some positive leadership right about now. Oh, that's so very rich. I can hardly contain myself. Why? What's that sarcasm about? (laughs) Well, let me first say this third dimension voice sheds new lights on that saying you humans have. Uh, What's that again? Oh, yes. I just couldn't help myself. The words come out just before you realize it. Hey, Jeff Keeper, just giving you a time check. We're about one minute to air time. And you know, maybe you could hold off having this conversation until you're on the air. It's a good one. I know, Linda. I know. Maybe we should just do that. Keeper, what do you say? Or if you like, I'll try and refrain from making any further comments in that case. And let me just say while we're waiting, that sometimes we just can't help ourselves. It's not that we're impulsive. It's just we can't pass up a good comeback. And I'm curious, Keeper, what about what I said activated your sarcasm? I thought we were waiting. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Oh, well, then, uh, I believe my sarcasm came from the fact that although there are leaders with the potential to inspire, even within your archaic political structures, inspiration often comes because your stories align with that leader's message. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. I mean, take that human Trudeau who you mentioned. I mean, he is a messenger after all. Nevertheless, she persisted on the air in 20, Jeff. (laughs) Yes, Linda, I know. Thanks. Sorry. Sorry. I guess I just can't help myself. But more specifically, Jeff, Trudeau's a young king soul, which means he prefers a command and control position of authority. And everything about his soul's purpose is designed to inspire a certain population of humans. Positive leadership, right? I mean, responsible governance. Stand by, please. We're on the air in three, two, and one. Welcome to Voice of Evolution Radio, conversations that awaken, inspire, and activate, with tonight's host, Jeff Hendler. Welcome to Voice of Evolution Radio and In the Soul's Waiting Room. I'm your host, Jeff Hendler, and today I'm joined by the Keeper of Soul's Purpose. This is the fifth time we're meeting now, and the Keeper's been sharing insight through what he calls the three lenses, the human soul connection, the environment, and evolution. All of our past programs are available on demand at www.thevoiceofevolution.com in case you've missed any of our earlier conversations. We actually began a conversation today before we went on the air. It's hard not to, believe me. And as our producer, Linda, suggested, it's a great topic for our listeners. And I think it's something we're eager to continue. So Keeper, welcome. What do you say? Should we take this conversation on the air? Well, now that we are on the air, I believe the only possible answer is yes, let's do it. Okay, great. So if I can catch this up quickly, we've been talking about positive leadership. Positive leadership creates a virtuous cycle and responsible governance. Don't forget that it has to be personal for humanity to be inspired or activated. And thank you for that reminder. Well, ironically, Jeff, that's actually how most politicians get elected. Well, if they're elected fairly, that is. By aligning their stories with a particular group within the population. They stand for something or else they stand against something. And usually it's something that the incumbent overlooked or was opposed to or something that the last leader advocated. 
the hopeful candidate takes the other side, anticipating that enough humans are disillusioned by the last leader's actions. That's true, right? Yes, that pretty much sums up our world's political system. And the result is that we become more liberal or conservative based on the history of our last leader and the results of the last few years. And how it's impacted you personally, of course. And you know, Keeper, just one more quick thought. Usually the population is evenly divided between these stories, to use your word. Truths and beliefs, Jeff. You know, it doesn't happen very often that someone wins by what we call a landslide, but it does happen. Some examples, Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour Party leader in Great Britain. You've got Narendra Modi, Prime Minister of India. You know, the U.S. has had its share of landslide victories in the past, too, like Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon. That's if I got my American history correct. Oh, yes, and the most recent election. A landslide, I hear. <laughs> For whom? It's such an odd strategy to have a handful of humans decide what the majority of humans have already decided. Agreed. And I think we're caught up, Keeper. It's those landslide victories, as you call them, that catch my attention. You mentioned the current Labour Party leader in Great Britain and the Prime Minister of India, to name a few. Hmm. You know, landslide victories usually occur when there's a large underlying population that hasn't been served by the current leaders or policies. There's a story in place that most of the population is benefiting from the current policies. And who's holding that story? Is it the ones in power and the ones benefiting from the current policies, right? Exactly. When a government is willing to pretend that the underserved population doesn't matter or can be ignored, or when they hold the story of anyone's marginalization as truth, that is. Actually, that's a recipe for disaster because those humans who feel they're unserved and marginalized can be quite powerful when they finally do decide to act. Agreed. Uh, Black Lives Matter, for example, the Women's March, the middle class, the poor. Geez, actually, is anyone not being marginalized? Well, that 1%, Jeff. <laughs> and even they feel marginalized for judgment about their affluence. There's a pandemic of marginalization, I'd say. <laughs> too true, too true. So, Keeper, if we circle back to this positive leadership and virtuous cycles, I guess the question has to be asked, positive and virtuous for whom? That's what you're saying, Keeper, right? That's exactly what I'm saying, Jeff. At any given point in human history, the issues and alignment are close enough that it's anyone's victory. In those times, the human population is content to muddle by with the status quo. Nobody rocks the boat. I think that's your expression, isn't it? Nobody rocks the boat too much at any rate. Candidates run on minutiae. Humans are lulled into a deep indifference about the policies or the candidates. True, and that's a great way to say it. And I want to build on that because many people don't even vote because they feel that it's not going to make much of a difference. No matter who wins, we're in for more of the same. Yada, yada, yada. Oh, that's good, Jeff. Yes, more of the same and endlessly stuck in our stories. But you know, recently the boat has been rocked. There's controversy and polarity in the opinions about the issues for change. The stand that some political parties and humans have taken has woken you all up. So when you use that phrase, positive leadership and virtuous cycles, it makes your question even more urgent. Positive and virtuous for whom? So if I understand you, Keeper, the stories have to rock our boat or represent a silent majority of the population to be hot enough that they can awaken the population, except in cases where there's a political or military coup, of course. I mean, I don't think we're talking about those. Well, not yet, but it's bound to come up eventually, given the current political climate on the planet. But I like where this is heading, because human potential is something we've talked about before. What does it take to create action and change? You said yourself that even when humans have freedom of choice, they often don't participate in elections because they don't see it mattering. But when unquestionably opposing views are introduced in an election, humans wake up because suddenly it is important. Suddenly something could change for them personally if they don't participate. 
So how do we redefine what personal means? What that says to me, Keeper, is that we all have a responsibility to become global citizens, and I'm okay with that. And we have to expand beyond our own limited circles and opinions. Get personal with someone or something that we might never have done before. Only then will things become more personal. An expansion of what personal means to each and every human. I think that's brilliant, Jeff. And I'd offer that as a calling forth to every human. Go out into the world, beyond your own world, and create something personal that wasn't there before. You know, I'd love for the listeners to write in and let us know that they've accepted that challenge or calling forth. So I'm going to put that challenge out there. And please write to us at jeff at voiceofevolutionradio.com or linda at voiceofevolutionradio.com. And let us know you've made something personal that wasn't in your world before. You know, we'll also post this on our Facebook page at Voice of Evolution Radio. Linda, can we do that? Absolutely, Jeff. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Keeper. Keeper, now there's a lot of different ways this conversation can go. What I'd like to do is continue to explore positive and virtuous for whom. I mean, is it even possible to find someone's message positive and virtuous if we don't agree with them? I personally don't think it is. I think it's too subjective. That's really where we started this conversation before we came on the air, right? Well, I believe we actually started with the word inspirational. So let me shift your question ever so slightly. Can you be inspired by a person if you don't agree with their message? And again, can you find the person inspiring if their message isn't? Are they being true to what they believe in? Or do you see them as evil because you don't agree with them? Oh, and let's agree on what it means to inspire, by the way. It means to move someone, to create the urge to do something or feel something. Well, I love that question, Keeper. I mean, I've always used inspirational to mean only the most positive reaction. I probably use the word activated more often because I can be activated to action when I feel something positive as well as something negative. Well, remember that every word has a light and a dark side, Jeff, and that's as true for the word inspiration as it is for that other word you used, activation. I get that. So being inspired to take action because I don't agree with you. Come to think of it, if I don't agree with you, I don't give you much thought or attention, actually. Well, unless you're impacting me personally, as, as you said before, Keeper. And I guess it's the same for the other people who dismiss the leaders I think are positive and virtuous. Oh, yes, more so than you realize, actually. Well, not you personally, Jeff. I'm speaking about all of humanity here. You know, we've talked about the muck at the bottom of the pond rising up as being a hopeful sign. Because in order to have a balanced ecosystem, the muck needs to be cleared away from time to time. But what is the muck, really? Or who is the muck, more accurately, I'd say? It actually depends on who's in power and who's doing the speaking, doesn't it? <laughs> they don't call it mudslinging for nothing. No, they don't. And I get what you're saying. If you take the recent U.S. presidential election, for example, both sides saw the other as the muck. One calling the other criminal and the other calling the first one and his followers deplorable. And I realize as I'm saying that, I don't even like calling it sides. But we do take sides, don't we? You do, Jeff. And in defense of humanity, it is a polarizing time after all. Remember also some humans called both candidates the muck and opted for third or fourth party candidates because one represented the same old system, the yada yada, as you said, and the other wanted to radicalize everything. So let's remember that good to evil seems evil. You remember saying that, don't you? It all depends on who's speaking. Yes. As I understand from my U.S. friends, very few politicians were willing to stand out from the crowd and stop what's now beginning to feel like madness in the U.S., Hmm. So the voices that did stand out and those that continue to stand out, are they inspirational or are they treasonous? Are they the good voices or are they the evil ones? And you know what I just heard? I heard, are you a good witch or a bad witch? <laughs> From the Wizard of Oz when you asked that. Are you hmm. a good witch or a bad witch? 
What an interesting question, because even an evil deed is always done with the certainty of being right about the action, isn't it, Jeff? Yes, I remember you likened it to actors playing evil versus really believing that their character's right. And yet I've got to ask, if good to evil seems evil, who actually is the good guy? Now that's a question, isn't it? You know, somehow, somewhere, we've got to agree on what human values are. Otherwise, we'll just continue fighting among ourselves over things like human rights issues and whether we own the earth or whether we're part of it. You know, Keeper, how are we still fighting over these things? Well, that's a question worthy of the infinite, Jeff. And remember, there's no better than or less than, there just is. Humanity is made up of a diverse human soul population, the, the first lens. By design. Oh, yes. And also based on the second lens, the environment. Whatever the environment needs from the first lens is delivered by the first lens, as souls incarnated as humans. Now, you mentioned the issues you humans created. Please know that there are laws of nature that supersede any human laws, and there are rights of nature that supersede any human rights, if those human rights infringe on the rights of the planets and other living things. When do the rights of nature step in and say, enough? Oh, but they are, Jeff. It's everywhere if you look for it. It's there even if you don't, actually. The question really is, when does the human step in and say, enough? Do you recall me saying that some of the souls who are in their human experience right now are creating the tension and the chaos? Yes, the young souls, I think you said. Yes, young souls who focus on belonging to a culture, law and order, punishment, rules, and so on. Yes, I do remember. Well, we should talk about them now in the first lens. Earth has many of these young souls in positions of power right now, and some of them are creating the most volatile places in the planet. It's inherent in these young souls to put the laws of humans above the laws of the natural world, and then their own laws above the laws of humans, especially when there's a profit to be made. And there's no room for any story other than their own, by the way. As a CEO of a private company, it's a powerful model. As president of a country, it's a dictatorship. It just doesn't work. And there you have it. I remember, Keeper, we talked briefly about young souls, and you said it's all about a willingness to sacrifice others for the sake of personal power and materialism. Which leads me to ask the question, who are these young souls in power? I mean, I think I can guess, and are you able to name any of them? I mean, is that something we're allowed to know, or is that one of the mysteries and, and they need to remain anonymous? Oh, there's nothing anonymous about them. In fact, they hate anonymity because it has to be all about them, don't you see? So it's fair to name names, right? Anybody you want to out? And when you say out, you make that sound like a bad thing. I'll admit, young souls can be disruptive and combative, narcissistic and retaliatory. It's because the world must revolve around them. I just want to warn you that if I name names, we could start a few tweeting rants because that's exactly what the young souls would do, isn't it? <laughs> True that. And hey, let the games begin, Keeper. Very well, Jeff. I'll preface by saying that a soul's age is neither good nor bad. And it's easy to see why sarcasm is so tempting because some of their actions appear irrational to other humans. Is that it? Is that why sarcasm and even humor are things that a human can't resist? Yes, that's it exactly. Well, I understand that, and it takes me back to the unconsciousness of consciousness, which was one of our very first conversations. Ah, in other words, when you believe you're a conscious human and yet act in ways that separate you from those who you believe are not conscious, you know, that's still a tough one for us, Keeper. So what are you asking here? Are you asking us to put a lid on the sarcasm and humor? Oh, no, that's not my role here. Of course, if you're able to help yourself and think before you speak or act, that's always a good start. I'll try to keep that in mind. The point I want to make is that young souls can also be great leaders, given the variables in the first and second lenses, and you'll see what I mean by that in a minute. 
It also goes back to our conversation about id, ego, and superego, and today's conversation earlier about what we said about inspiration. A young soul with consciousness of right and wrong, that's a young soul with a dominant superego, can be very effective as a human leader. A young soul with only its id and ego, well, that human can be very destructive as a leader. So here's an image that might amuse your listeners. Imagine a room full of young souls. They're like human toddlers, and they have only one toy between them in the room. Know that that's the result of the id and ego in a dominant position of the young soul and the human. And you just described the morning news keeper. I mean, that seems to be what we're dealing with on a global scale these days. So I'm eagerly awaiting to hear who some of these young souls are. Then I'll answer your question, Jeff. Young souls who've been political leaders in the past include the humans Napoleon, Constantine, and Alexander the Great. In more recent times, there's Margaret Thatcher, Saddam Hussein, Mikhail Gorbachev, Mao Zedong, Vladimir Putin, and John F. Kennedy. And that's just naming a few of them. Wow, quite a list. And John F. Kennedy, really? I mean, he seems completely out of place with the others you've mentioned. Ah, so you've caught the one name that seems incongruous with the others. And I can see why you'd say that from a human perspective. But remember what I just said. A young soul in his or her superego can be an inspiring leader, a positive and virtuous leader, if you will. And you said that Justin Trudeau often inspires you because many of his beliefs align with yours. And he's a young soul too, by the way, a lot like JFK. Oh, well, without the martyrdom is one of his goals, I should add. He's capable of doing brave things if he can get past the need to be loved. Doing brave things is polarizing, as you know, and some group is always bound to find you offensive when you do it. So is being cowardly and not doing brave things. Yeah, well, that's the very essence of our conversation today, Jeff, isn't it? Yes, and so I can see there's more to talk about here about types of souls. Keeper, you mentioned martyrdom and goals. I do think we need to spend some time there to really understand what you mean. Noted, but let me say a bit more about young souls before we go there. You'll find young souls leading petroleum companies and other enterprises that take from the earth's resources, leading chemical companies and food industries that promote private ownership of land and water. And then there are some who are genetically modifying earth's food sources. These souls are capable of lying to the world about the effects of carcinogenic substances in the environment or in their own products, actually. And they provide what we call alternative facts. Oh, boy. Young souls will raise the price of a life-saving drug beyond what the sick or dying can afford, just because they can. Id and ego with no superego engaged, all about profit. Of course, these are only some of the results. Wow, so a world full of young souls sounds like one big fuck you environment. I know, I know I shouldn't say that. Well, I believe you just did, Jeff. It activates you to think that humans can do this to each other and to the earth, doesn't it? And doesn't that add to the chaos you feel? Oh, rhetorical question, by the way. And so maybe this is a naive question, but why are these young souls allowed to be here? Think about it from a human perspective. We don't let our children play in traffic. We don't let them play with matches. We do seem to let them play with guns. Sorry, I just couldn't help myself by saying that. And that's what this feels like to me. It seems that there are no rules for these young souls, and there ought to be. Oh, now I've activated you, Jeff. How fascinating. <laughs> Could you say more? I guess. Well, let me ask the listeners. Would you let an intern learn heart surgery on one of your own children? That's kind of what it feels like, Keeper. And yes, I am activated by the situation. I think the question, why would the infinite allow young souls to practice on the rest of humanity? Well, I think it should stand. I mean, we deserve to know since we're the ones in the middle of all of this. Well, okay. 
So young souls are here to learn about taking charge of their own destinies. They have to do this before they can progress to mature souls and even begin to explore relationship with others. Wanting there to be more rules? That's a baby soul wanting, Jeff. I know you don't really want there to be more rules. What I hear is that you're questioning the rules. You see the interrelatedness of everything, which is, by the way, a mature and old soul perspective. You are also annoyed by the young souls having forgotten that you yourself were one in the past. You're like an old person in a room full of toddlers. You keep asking, why are they touching everything? Someone make them stop touching everything. <laughs> Here's the only way I can answer your questions about why the infinite allows these young souls to play in traffic, as you put it. When humans choose another way to be as humans, the human soul connection will comply. Otherwise, it's unrealistic to believe that a young soul will take a stand for the environment or human rights. Or immigration or the cost of life-saving medicine. So it's us. It's, it's our fault. Oh, no one gets to be wrong about it, Jeff. It's the story written in the infinite. And at the very same time, you've also written the story. If you don't like it, change it. I can sense that you're still quite activated by this, Jeff. I am. It's true. But I've asked in the past, why doesn't the infinite or all that exists without explanation do something about the pain and suffering? And Keeper, you've always replied that we are the ones to change things. So I don't know. I've got nothing here. Well, let me respond by saying that as things are now in all that exists without explanation, it's never your last incarnation until you like it here in the human realm and you've become a teacher to at least one other soul. It's about accountability, Jeff, on an infinite scale. While you're all in this activation and suffering, just know that you do have more lives to live. I don't know if this is helpful or unsettling, Keeper. You know, some days I just want to change things. I want them to change overnight. Do it and be done with it. A huge do-over for the world. We find peace. We find equality. We just make it so hard for ourselves. <laughs> and each other. And I have to remember that this is legacy work. Meaning... You know, we do what we are compelled to do, knowing we may never see the outcome of our work. Legacy work, yes. Not very satisfying in the moment, I know. And yet, it's very powerful in the bigger picture for future generations of humans. Unlike young souls who want it to change right now and often do so, sacrificing everything and everyone who stands in their way, you want to change it so that everyone survives and thrives. In order to have what you call a do-over, you have to embrace the controversy and the polarity and the muck. People don't come out to vote for the yada yada. You said so yourself. And there's a mic drop. So Keeper, I'm still curious about JFK. He just doesn't seem to fit this profile of a young soul. You'd be interested to know that not only was he a young soul, six level, remember there's seven levels to each soul. He was also the archetype of the young king, benevolent, charismatic, and a strategist, an intellectually centered idealist in the mode of passion who possessed martyr as one of his goals, what I'll call his coding. We touched on coding in our last conversation, didn't we? I believe we did, and you deferred the conversation to another time. Uh, so is this it? Is this the time? Yes, perhaps it is. Hmm. Well, if you think about it, Kennedy was the first United States Catholic president in human history. His purpose was to break barriers about Catholicism and then break the barrier of humans walking on the moon. His soul's coding had the added challenge of a damaged spine. I think that was from his PT boat days, wasn't it? Yes, I remember that. Well, he needed spine to meet those challenges head on, metaphorically speaking. He also expressed his soul's purpose and coding in many of his speeches. Can I share an example? Of course. In his inauguration speech, Kennedy said, 
The world is very different now. For man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life. And yet the same revolutionary beliefs for which our forebears fought are still at issue around the globe. The beliefs that the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. And whether you refer to God or the universe, Allah or the infinite, I think you get the message. Yes, powerful keeper, very powerful stuff. And still true. How many years later? 56 years? What happened to that vision? Well, as you recall, Kennedy was assassinated. And as I said before, some messengers don't survive their message, no matter how inspirational or positive or virtuous they may be. And before we make him into the model of perfection, remember he was still a young soul. He still had some young soul learning to do in his personal life. But there's a lot more to that that your listeners can fact check if they want. Okay, thanks, Keeper. See where this takes me, right? I mean, dare I ask about the recently elected president of the U.S.? There's a lot of polarity going on in the States these days. Strange inspiration and not what many of us would call virtuous or positive. Hmm, yes, the human realm is still responding to that disorienting event, and I'm afraid there's more to come. So it's a very relevant question. Now, when it comes to discussing a soul that's still in a human life, whose incarnation isn't complete, there is some caution to be taken. Why is that, Keeper? Because what the soul has come to this realm to learn might not have been fully learned yet. So we have to be careful not to identify a human in his soul's learning. I'm going to stay within his soul's typing and coding. That way, listeners can fact check those humans who are doing this work in the world at the moment. I'm assuming you're talking about people who do soul typing or, or the Michael teachings? Yes, they actually serve as a bridge between the dimensions. And they're also messengers, by the way. Keeper, you're not, um, you're not Michael, are you? Jeff, Michael is a we, a collective. I, I'm the keeper of soul's purpose. That's an honest mistake, but I hope I've set the record straight. Yes, yes, you have, Keeper. Okay, and, well, more fact-checking for the listeners. If they're inspired or activated. Now, this soul we're talking about is a young soul, another young king, like Kennedy, in fact. And that's his essence, still in its early stages. Although some humans disagree at which level this soul is actually operating. Again, there are seven evolutions of each soul age, each one more advanced than the last. Not better than, just more advanced. Noted. And what else can you tell us? Let me say first that a soul's coding, or what you humans call overleaves, is the metaphysical personality trait system of souls. Just as humans have types, so do souls in their incarnations. You humans have Enneagrams, astrological signs, numerology, Myers-Briggs, DISC, and all that, yes? We do, and we love to know our types, by the way. And that's something else you have in common with souls. A human life is like being in a room and knowing that you need to get to the door on the other side. An easy task. Or so it seems, until you discover that the room is filled with spider's webs. Thick, glutinous, uncompromising spider webs that you have to pass through to get to the door. Not so easy now, is it? So, to put it as simply as possible, the overleaves or coding include a goal, that's a soul's purpose, mind you, or what we do, an attitude, or why we do what we do, a mode, which is how we do it, a chief feature, which is the challenge for that soul, and a center, or the part of the self from which we express our soul. Um, should I stop and let you process that? For a moment, please. And uh, I'm going to assume it's much more complex than that. It is so much more complex, Jeff. And that's another opportunity for listeners to check their facts or do further research if they want. It's the soul's way of creating a complex human who will be affected by all of these overleaves in addition to what's happening in the second lens, the environment. Is there an example, Keeper? 
Because you know me, I'm always going to ask for an example. Well, let's say that a soul's chief feature or challenge is greed, for example, as is this young soul we're about to discuss. This human will be challenged with there never being quite enough and will think of himself first asking, can I profit from this? And if so, how? This is also a human who believes that the universe revolves around him and that everyone else should find him absolutely fascinating. Does that help? It does, yes, thank you. Now, there are always variables in the coding, just like there are variables in the meaning of your human words. If this coding is dominated by the reactive side of these traits, traits like dominance, arrogance, impatience, cynicism, greed, and martyrdom if the human superego isn't engaged, well, given the level of power that's been afforded to this human, there's a danger of a very volatile environment, that's with the lowercase e, as you would put it, that impacts the larger environment, and that's with the capital E, as you would put it. Wow, that's, uh, that's some lineup. Okay, I'm going to try to stay the impartial interviewer here. Yet, you know, Keeper, those are all difficult traits to deal with on their own. The combination shows serious similarities to some of the worst leaders in times in human history. Well, at face value, I'd see why you could say that. But remember, Jeff, each of these characteristics contains the choice of a polar opposite. So a human can find the good in any one of these characteristics, even if humanity is given the word a negative connotation. It's like your use of the words inspiration and activation, one being positive, one being negative, the two polarities. Depending on which he chooses, this soul profile is an indication of how he'll rule for whatever time he's in that seat of power. What I can tell you is there's an underlying fear of not having enough, a confusion about need and want. Remember that conversation we had some time before? I do. The necessities versus the desires. Right. So if it exists, the soul desires it. It's what we call a hoarder personality, if I can use those words. I think that conjures up quite a clear image for the listeners, yes? Oh man, yes it does. So we can fact check this. We've been putting resources on our website for the listeners keepers, so I'd, I'd like to give them this as well. Yes, you may in fact check this. Let me also say that with this combination of features, there's always a mentality in this human that he must do something to others before someone does it to him. If you take arrogance, this human will judge before he can be judged. If you take martyrdom, this human will victimize before he becomes a victim. Stubbornness? Well, he'll change things before they change around him. And of course, the greed, taking before anything can be taken from him. So I want to say something here about fear. I think this might be a good time to inject something here about fear and, and what I've labeled the European perspective. At least this is, these are the things that I'm noticing. I've noticed, for the sake of this conversation, that left-wing individuals are beginning to lean to the right. And uncomfortably so. And yet they're making that move out of fear. It's like a fear that they don't want to have because it challenges all their stories. Fear of their safety is always in question. Uh, they don't know who's good and who is evil, and they, they don't even feel protected. You know, Keeper, they're getting activated in ways and mobilizing in ways that they probably never anticipated. I'm even guessing that the older souls are doing this. Tell me, what does that mean for humanity as a whole? Mature and old souls are already feeling this challenge, even though it's what they came here to do. The second lens is throwing quite a curve into their purpose, and yet soul's purpose is always going to find a way. It's all about choice, Jeff, and sometimes it's a choice we never expected to make. And it's not an uninformed choice that many of us have to make, especially if we live in cities that are targets for terrorism. We don't know how to find that line between our freedom and security anymore. I don't want to be blind to what's happening around me, and I don't want to make sweeping generalizations that marginalize anyone. You know, I do think about the Japanese internment, and for what? Uh, all out of fear. It's the insecurity of security. We keep building walls higher and higher, and we still don't feel they're safe enough. 
I want to believe that we've learned something about that from the past and we've gotten better. And I just don't know if that's true. Well, I understand that, Jeff. And right now, that's really all I can say. You are in the middle of this right now, and there really is no perspective to share. Now, getting back to this human we've been talking about, if I may, or I should perhaps say this soul, who's another young king's soul, by the way. It has a critical part to play in some yet-to-be-defined drama about choice for humans. Now, that statement may not be as easy to fact-check, and yet it's a safe bet that I'm right. Safe bet, huh? Yeah, he's definitely part of stirring up all that lay dormant of America's shadow side. Well, remember now that the muck has risen from the bottom of the pond, and you know what needs to be cleared in order to have a healthy ecosystem. And remember there are messengers with whom we do not agree, that good to evil seems evil. So from his soul's perspective, you may be the muck stirred up from the bottom of the pond. The shadow side is always a perspective worth respecting in these conversations, isn't it? That's a lot to consider when we're all being activated one way or another, and we're pointing a lot of fingers at each other. So how is this choice made between the reactive or the other side, the proactive side of these traits? Choice is always made through the variables of the first and second lenses. Remember, id, ego, superego, the need and the want, perfection and imperfection. So Keeper, is there hope for what's happening right now? In other words, is this soul going to learn anything in this lifetime? Or at least learn what it came here to learn, which still feels like it's at our expense, by the way. So here's the dilemma when you ask that question, Jeff. This soul, who I realize we're not naming by name for some reason. Yeah, it gives Linda the chills. Ah, that's the mature soul recognizing the young soul's raw, arrogant disposability towards truth and conscience. So here's how I can answer your question. Humans often get stuck in what they're supposed to learn. It takes hundreds and thousands of lifetimes to grow and age. So I wouldn't put any hope on this human having an epiphany and completely changing for the sake of the greater good of humanity. There's never any guarantee. And like our conversations about good and evil, humans tend to polarize because you're not very curious about yourselves, actually. You're too busy being yourselves to stop and notice. Well, except for the more mature and older souls who can turn within and realize that's where the learning is, that there actually is a neutrality that doesn't mean passivity. Hmm. I know that's not the answer you really hoped for. And yet I appreciate the truth, Keeper. It's still amazing to me how complicated it all is. You know, no wonder we don't pay much attention. There has to be some mystery in it all. And there's also the opportunity for those souls that are ready to grow and ascend to use this time in Earth's history as the activator of their soul's purpose. Perhaps this soul who remains nameless here, perhaps this soul's purpose is to activate the soul's purpose of millions of others. I think we talked about how courageous souls are often most hated in their human lives. <laughs> now there's some inspiration for you. <laughs> See you and don't want to be you. Despite the young soul's belief that you all want to be him, by the way. Now you made a statement earlier about defining human values and rights. And if I may, Jeff, there's a lot more to be said there. Humans have some fundamental agreement about values and rights. And I know you want to challenge that, and it's still true. No, I, I can buy that. So even within this fundamental agreement, you can't agree on how to stay true to these beliefs. You've created policies and processes that obscure the path. Policies and processes like constitutions and declarations and laws and regulations. But if we didn't have those things, how would we ever manage to coexist? Well, I'm not sure that you've ever managed to coexist, actually, Jeff, and that's the point. Rules, rules, and more rules. They usually benefit one and oppress another. And then they change when another opinion comes into power. So here's the challenge you all face. 
Let me give you the list of my rights. That's theoretical, of course, but I think you get the point. It's my right to go fishing until there are no more fish. It's my right to hunt and kill one of the last remaining lions on the planet. Not to use any part of it, unless, of course, I can profit from it, but simply for sport. It's my right to keep certain people out and let certain people in. It's my right to own a piece of the Earth's surface and do with it as I please. And it's my right not to take a salary as a public official so I don't have to comply with your rules of disclosure. And I will fight you for any one of those rights. Holy shit. I, I mean, how do we even begin to approach that? You've used the expression being played when we've talked about humans as a device. And this is how you are being played by your systems and leaders. When you can't agree on what constitutes basic rights, you're destined to fight each other for your share of the world. It's those toddlers in a room again with only one toy. It's the spider's web. It's also fair to say that these are stories we've made up and keep telling ourselves, right? That's just how it is. Yes. And they're all in jeopardy, it seems, these days. Our basic rights and freedoms that all living things are entitled to. I mean, do we really need to start over again, Keith? This feeling keeps coming up for me that we're so entangled in these stories of our own making that we're not going to be able to find our way out of them. How do we do this? You're all reluctant evolutionaries doing this legacy work with all the immediate gratification needs that entangle you. So frustration runs rampant even on your best days. But you have all been given the supportive coding as well as the challenges to do your work in the world. Your goal or purpose, your behavior style or mode and your outlook on life or your attitude all been given with this purpose in mind. And there is some surrender and allowing, Jeff, that needs to happen. Surrender and allowing. In the affirming or proactive sense, I assume. Oh, very much so. Going with the flow, taking the leap before seeing the steps. When you're frustrated with your progress, you're likely operating from your chief feature, which is an obstacle and negative by nature. Something like impatience or stubbornness, perhaps even self-deprecation or destructiveness. And here's where your shadow comes alive, no matter how hard you humans try to hide it. You're all afraid of something in this human form, but your soul remembers its purpose and finds a way even if it interprets its purpose through your fear. Does that make sense? I'm piecing together all our conversations in my head right now, Keeper, and it does make sense. You said that the soul's purpose finds a way no matter what, which is why we see evil in others' actions or words, and they may see evil in ours. Ah, you've taken us back to the beginning of the conversation. Good. You all have your purpose and challenge. You all get to choose the light or the dark, and just knowing that there is a light and a dark will speed up the growth and ascension for at least some of you. You're all here to work on the self and at the same time to be together in a world of stories. What do we do about that, Keeper? Just what is it we're supposed to do? Well, you could start by being kind to yourselves. Be curious. Leave your judgment behind for just a little while every day. And then be kind to others. Be curious and leave your judgment about them behind for just a little while every day. Remember that you are in choice about so much more than you ever realize. Thank you for those words, Keeper. And we've come to the end of our time today. I know I usually ask if there's something you want the listeners to take away, and I think you just did that. So to our listeners, thank you for supporting Voice of Evolution Radio and In the Soul's Waiting Room. Remember, we have a Patreon account set up for those who've asked how they can support more programming like this one. And that's patreon.com forward slash voice of evolution radio. Next time I'd like to ask that we talk about messengers keeper. Yes, Jeff, I think it is time to see gender identity and preference through the three lenses. 
So remind me, if you will, because I have another dozen or so topics that will also be relevant to humanity. I will remind you, Keeper. Thanks. It's been a lot in the news lately and on TV. And thanks again to our listeners. And remember, go out and create conversations that awaken, inspire, and activate. Until next time. 